Hi, I'm Jonathan Stroud. Welcome to the Freedom to Think podcast, giving you a little bit of time and space to explore your imagination. Time's done weird things during the pandemic. In one way, with our lives so restricted and everything so bottled up, we've had more time on our hands than ever. In another way, with the days all so similar, everything somehow concertinas together. It feels like we're losing time and becoming ever more hemmed in by all the chores and obligations that surround us. In losing so many freedoms that we normally take for granted, the freedom to keep some mental space around us is ever more vital and ever more difficult to achieve. The strategies to sustain creativity and mental health overlap enormously. And after many months of scribbling away in solitude, feeling a bit frayed, I thought it was high time I put my Freedom to Think hat on again and got some words of wisdom about maintaining a good work-life balance from my old friend Tony DeSaul. For more than 20 years, Tony has been a best-selling writer and illustrator. He illustrates the books in the Horrible Science series, written by Nick Arnold, which have sold many millions around the world. He's published dozens of other children's books too, most recently the marvellous B-Boy trilogy with OUP, beginning with Clash of the Killer Queens and Attack of the Zombies, which effortlessly fuse humour, drama and comic art with lashings of fascinating non-fiction. As I discovered when we spoke, when he's not writing or illustrating, beekeeping is a big part of Tony's life, and he has many other interests too. We met at a distance via the wonders of Zoom, with me at home and Tony in his office at the bottom of his garden. Among the topics discussed were murderous queen bees, the merits of thinking in bed, and the pleasures to be had from slicing the heads off dead animals. No one can say that we didn't make the most of our conversation. So thank you. Thank you so much, Tony, for joining me today. I noticed that with Bee Boy, I mean, it was brilliantly done, really, that you essentially they're fiction they're, they're full of remarkable amounts of gratuitous violence and um and sort of gunk and snot and viscera and you know every, everything that any child would want to to read about but actually they're crammed with non-fiction material and a really quite a, a strong and passionate ecological message which is obviously your that was obviously the the, the plan at, at the outset i guess absolutely i mean i do the beekeeping with my wife janet and uh you know, we're, we're beginners, really. We've been doing it for two or three years. We've got neighbours who are beekeepers, so we've learned from them. But once you start sort of learning about these little insects, uh, I mean, you couldn't make it up. And that's what made me think, wow, you know, I mean, this this is just too good to not put into a book, albeit fiction, but, uh, yeah, based on the truth. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's like um the raw material of the fact this is actually quite important because if bees are, dis- are disappearing then we're all going to be um in, in big trouble in quite a quite short order absolutely it's just like the horrible science books as well in as far as i can tell children things you might be telling them something that really is quite horrible you know but you can say well it, it's horrible but it's um it's true <laughs> whereas if you were just <laughs> making it up and, and sort of uh, it would it, it wouldn't have the same impact I think when you when you find this sort of information that's fascinating slightly horrible I think um, but true I think children really love it yeah in the first b-boy book you you have the whole thing about swarming and and that's a natural process where a whole bunch of them will will, will just go off and found a new colony is that, is that that's right? right exactly I mean they a successful beehive gets overcrowded um, 
And so that's why they swarm. And the old queen takes about half the bees off. Um, that's the swarm. They go off to make another colony. Um, if you can catch them, you can put them in an empty hive or they might end up in a tree trunk, empty hollow tree or something. But yeah. and the, um, the bees that stay behind um, wait for the uh, queen cells, the new queens to hatch out. And you only need one queen, but a few hatch out. And that's the title of the first book, Clash <laughs> of the Killer Queen. Because um, they they basically fight to the death, and the, the queen that survives um, uh, it becomes the queen bee. And as a child asked me, only was it a week ago or two weeks ago, well, what happens is you know if they they just kill each other, which is oh, was a good, good question, good, good question, question, you know. Yeah. Um, and to which I said, I don't know. <laughs> 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 so yeah, I don't know, but. Uh, it's pretty vicious in the, in the beehive. And if the first queen that hatches out, um, if, if the other queen cells haven't quite hatched, they're just about to hatch out, she will sting through the cell wall um, to kill them. So they don't yeah. even get a chance to be born. Do you have, a, you have a studio in the garden, is that right? Near, near, your, near your beehives? That's right, yes. It was about halfway down. It's an old, um, it, used to be, it was an old wash house many years ago. I tried, we tried to save it actually, but... We had to pull it down and, and rebuild, which was a shame. But, yeah, no, it's a nice little building. Um, so I quite like going out of the back door, walking a few yards and then going back into the studio. Um, it seems to work quite well. I think uh, Janet quite likes it as well. <laughs> Did you find that the pandemic or this this vast period of where the world has altered in how, in how it operates a bit has it stymied you did you find that you your creativity suffered in that period or or not that's a good question because to be honest um i think my confidence dropped um once everything once the lockdown came in and everything and i thought oh am i ever gonna sort of get out of this um I'm sure it's the same for a lot of creatives. You, know, you sort of go yeah. up and down, up and down. I, I would say that was that's a kind of natural, that's a natural function of of creativity, isn't it? That that by its nature it comes out of you. And some days, some days you've got more to to give than others. Other days it's just harder. Um, and 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 it, you have these, you do have these big cycles. Um, I was thinking about this um, confidence thing. And, thinking about when I was younger I'm one of seven children so there was a lot of us so we had to really sort of entertain ourselves um and I I was always had projects on the go I was always either making something but in the same way as a (laughs) grown-up um writer author uh illustrator I I realized when I was young I'd get incredibly excited about whatever the project was, whatever I was making, trying to invent something. And I'd think about it in bed as I do with my work now. And I, you know, and then it inevitably, or not, nev- not always, but often it would go wrong or I didn't have the right things to make it. And then you go down, 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 and you'd get, you just feel so <laughs> totally fed up with it. And then the little seed of the next project would grow. And so the childhood was the same. You'd be going up and down, up and down with enthusiasm and uh, sort of <laughs> slight depression. That is very true. I, I'm, I hadn't thought about it that way. I suppose as an adult, you, you know, you try and convince yourself that actually, you know, you're, you're a stable, you're a stable entity. But 
things are much just just by of, of their nature they're much more fluid and you have to acknowledge that um and, and then know when to roll with it and you know take take steps if you're on the on a sort of slightly downward part of the curve so you, so you're saying you have strategies now presumably so that you you have periods where you it's not working quite the way you want do you just persevere you sort of come and sit down and carry on uh slogging away or do you distract yourself and go off and do something different you know try and sort of um change the record if you like yeah if i i mean i will i am sort of quite stubborn as far as i'll sit and stare at the screen and 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 do my best but sometimes i just reach the point and i'm sure it's the same with a lot of people where i think no and i don't know why it's so difficult to, to 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 give in and say i'm going to do something different because more often than not if you just calm down, take the dog, go for a walk and th- don't try and think too hard. It, the, the solution comes. It nearly always comes. You know, I find yes. dog walks are amazing. And I also find lying in bed. I don't know if you're the same. <laughs> if, I, if, I, if I'm trying to work on a story and I've reached a bit of a, a dead end or something, I mean, it just plays around in, in your head and I I feel so relaxed and calm in bed I just lie even in the middle of the night I might wake up at two in the morning and rather than worrying about stuff I just think quietly about the story and yes. quite often you know the the solution comes but it's true it's, it's like a kind of uh it's, with the walking and and the lying in bed you're you're sort of loosening you're allowing your brain to loosen loosen up aren't you you're, yeah. you're sort of unmooring yourself and just sort of drifting with the current a little bit and somehow that has a has a freeing effect and um often often it's the like you say it's the actual going out that's the difficult bit when you're you're sitting at your desk and the the puritan in you sort of says no no i've got to stay here because i and i need to get my pages done or i've got to to draw you know draw the next sort of three pictures and to actually cut the end of it and go off is is quite a hard bit That's so true. Yeah, it is. It shouldn't be, but for some reason it is. So you you mentioned being when you were a a little a little boy. So you were you were one of seven. Um, I don't know where you were in the in the pecking order, but did you was it was it was it feasible to to find um sort of space in a corner to do your your own creative stuff or or were you just essentially in the room with everyone else around you and you you just shut them out and you 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 began to to find you know to find your own uh, pleasure in in making stuff um so no there was always space i think my problem was that i didn't see a lot of my dad he was always working uh so mm. very much sort of entertain yourself and i could have done with a bit more help on things i think and also i was i always lacked the right um equipment or materials and didn't have the money to buy them what um, kind of what kinds of things were you doing were you trying to were you trying to make stuff at this point was it was it a were you, yeah were you... making making more than um drawing to be honest right. uh well for instance one thing i I, I, made, I got a book of um, things for boys to make. I got the book out of the library. And one of them was, uh, this was American, um, and it was a mammal trap. And it, uh, it involved making a wire cage with a, a wire door. And the door, albeit quite light, it was made of wire, was um, fixed to the arm of a rat trap. 
Um, so <laughs> he set it up with bait and the animal sort of walked into the cage and then as it ate the bait, it, the door slammed shut. So it I needed to kill it. Didn't kill it. It just it didn't, no, no. It was just a, it just was stuck in the cage. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, I needed a rat trap. Uh, I don't know where I got the money from. I'm, I, I, I'm, I don't know. And anyway, I just went. I cycled down to the hardware store. I don't know whether you've seen a rat trap as opposed to a mouse trap. They're like no. sort of six times bigger. You know, I mean, <laughs> if you if it went off on your fingers as a small boy, it would break them without a doubt. You know. Anyway, I made this cage and it worked, but it injured a bird. Um, so oh. I, yeah, I felt bad about it after that. So I stopped doing it. But that was one project that actually was quite successful. Yeah. yeah. I, I, when you started talking about it, I thought, gosh, you probably caught the postman or something. You know, pigeons <laughs> is something quite large, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, no, it was good. I think, I think the serious point is, though, that, for instance, um, that trap was one of many things. But if you've got no one to help you and you, you've got to really think about things and you, yeah. whatever the project is, you always come up against problems. And I think having a, a childhood of having to sort of work through things and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I just think it's, it's so good for you, you know. Yeah, you're right. There's a kind of, na- there's a kind of natural a natural pattern, natural wisdom in, in that, that, that you, and I, I observe it with my, with my son now, you know, that he, he, he wants to be an inventor. And so he's constantly making things of one sort or another, or he's trying to take apart my, you know, vacuum cleaner or whatever, you know, the various, various dangerous electrical devices that he's, he's quite keen on uh, unscrewing and seeing how it, you know, how it works. And, and if I tell him not to do that, he'll put it to one side and he'll pick up something else and he'll, uh, unscrew that and it's just this on it's this ongoing um fluid uh pattern and it's just it's just going on and you you hope that one day that will lead to him being a nobel prize winning inventor but or, or he might be something completely different but it's yeah so it's so healthy it's a it's a great yeah. thing to watch definitely definitely it's like a slow slow trickle of of information you know over years really yeah and and it doesn't it doesn't necessarily as you said it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to end up being a maker of of giant trap, you end up creating something completely completely different. But it's it's all part of the same thing, isn't it? Absolutely. I, I, that's something else I've thought about in in recent years. I'm um, having worked in different creative jobs. Is that you know n- nothing's wasted. It, it, mm. Almost like everything in the creative world overlaps. Whether you know whatever it is, whether it's poetry, writing, drawing. Yeah, so I, I I think that's an absolutely fantastic phrase, and nothing nothing's wasted because you know I, I remember as a as a kid I I tended to gravitate towards making stuff on pen and paper. I was terribly non practical in other ways, but um, just endless little projects that I that I started and uh, kept kept scribbling at, and then I would just discard because it didn't work. Um, and, and you have boxes and boxes of this kind of stuff, but it doesn't matter. It's all, it's all, it's all actually one, one big project, isn't it? Heading. Yeah, absolutely. F- figuring out who the heck you are and you know, what your, what your destiny is. So Tony, uh, did you always want to be in illustration? Uh, how did you get started in your career? 
I went to um, an, a, a Catholic boys' grammar school. It was quite academic, um, and I, I'm not an academic person. I wasn't very well suited to the place, to be honest with you. Um, I was on a bit of a low, actually, when I left school. I didn't enjoy school at all. Um, mm-hmm. Academically, I sort of failed. Uh, I didn't know what to do. I, I didn't have any self-confidence. And my, it was my mum, actually, who found out about art foundation courses and suggested I should give it a go. And I did, um, not knowing what to expect. And, oh, my words, you know, I just loved it. Did he hit you sort of just straight away, like like, like a beautiful cold shower or something, he just woke you up? And um... Yeah, I, I think it did. I think it did. It was, it was wonderful. I can't speak highly enough of art college. So I did a year there. And then I did graphics for three years up in London. Then I got offered a job at an advertising agency from my degree show. So I went straight from college to an advertising agency. I'd never even thought about working in advertising. I, it just wasn't for me. It wasn't for me. Um, so, I mean, it, to cut a long story short, I ended up working in graphic design and then book design. Um, and that was for me. And then I had the opportunity, because um, all this time I was working as a graphic designer, I was coming up with book ideas and sending stuff in, um, right, and then I got some small job published, a uh, small piece of work, um, and then so I had that in my portfolio. And then I happened to take my portfolio up to Scholastic, and they happened to have just had success with horrible histories and thought they'd give science the same treatment. I think they they liked my humour probably more than my uh, drawing skills. Even um, my you know it was okay. I, my drawings, my illustrations were okay. I think, but they weren't exactly top-notch at that stage but I think they quite liked the humour and they gave me a chance thank goodness they gave me a chance <laughs> which, which, which was the first one which was the first uh, horrible science it was called Ugly Bugs 1996 then we did Blood Bones and Body Bits after that and with those two books we won the um, children's science book of the year and that gave it a really good boost yes no, we, never look look back i mean you've, you've sold how many millions at 15 million or something i, I saw somewhere we think it's about 15 million in 36 territories yeah amazing amazing one thing i really admire about the uh, well all your books actually is that sort of the visual and textual language that you're using is so sort of multifaceted and you, you you use different kinds of pictures and some of them are co- comic strips and some of them are some of them are more, more sort of straight illustrations. You, you never know what you're going to get when you turn the page, and that just keeps it so so sort of vibrant and fresh. You don't always want to simply illustrate what is in the text. You, know, you want to try and draw something else out of it or a different angle or a completely new joke, and I've always really enjoyed doing that. And you're right, sometimes, you know, if it's a cross-section of, of an eyeball, then, you know, that you've, you've got to draw it accurately and all the rest of it, but there's always that creative challenge of trying to inject some sort of um joke into it you know and i absolutely (laughs) absolutely love that it's like extracting humor out of the driest of subjects and um i think that's that's what i enjoy i'm going to ask you about this what's the difference between you know working on something that's yours and it's just you we're compared with say when you're you know in, in a major collaboration as you were with nick arnold on the science books yeah um it's very different, um, it's, it, but I think it's quite nice to have a bit of variety. And I'm, I'm, I'm still doing books for um, other authors. Um, and I 
I quite enjoy, well, I do enjoy um, the fact that, you know, they've written it, I've got to get my head around what they're saying um, and then try and put my, my spin on it. Whereas when I'm doing my own book, I mean, for me, that is the ultimate. I absolutely love it. The trouble is I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a control freak. Well, I am a control freak, so I, do, I, I love the control of it. So being able to, you know, do the writing and then work out the page layouts and then do the illustrations. And the nice thing is that you can, I, I quite often change the text, not, not hugely, but you can change the text right at the last minute just because as you're doing the illustration you think well hang on a minute it might be better if we did such and such and such but then he wouldn't say this he'd say that and so you can keep controlling everything right up to um right up to the end so yeah um i mean i've I've come rather late to writing really so i i feel like uh, i still feel like i've got so much to learn um but i i still love the illustration as well and you can't Mm. beat if i'm listening to a good radio program I'm working on a detailed illustration and I call it being in the zone. You just forget yes. everything. You just completely yes. half, half your brain's in the radio program and the other half yeah. is in this drawing and there's there's nothing else. And it might just be you might just hit it for ten minutes, but you might be lucky and hit it for um, an hour, you know. Yeah, it's a sweet spot, isn't it? I noticed that with your horrible science books, there's a range of other sort of things available that I don't know whether you take part in them, but there are various sort of experiments. And That's right. Are you part of that, the process of actually inventing, coming up with those things? Um, some some of the sort of spin-offs, um, I, um, I mean, there, there was like a, a theatre show and there's also been a TV series, where, but we didn't get involved in those at all, you know, um, which is, is fine. But... Um, Galt Toys do lots of experiment kits. They've been doing them for years and they're tremendously successful. And last year we did a a board game as well called Germ Attack. We were working on it before COVID struck. Um, So it was just coincidence, really. Um, But working on a board game um, with the the, uh, product designer was a new experience for me. It was really interesting um, because you're kind of thinking in 3D as well. You have to make do illustrations for the pieces and the cards. Really, it's a really nicely made game. Yeah. Well, I take my board game around to my mum who lives in the village. She's 92 and understandably bored. So um, it's either Scrabble or, um, or German attack. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go for German attack anytime. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm very envious. I, I've when I was probably about uh, between the ages of about 12 and. 15, 16, I, I used to make a lot of games. It was, it was a really, it was a real interest of mine and the real, real delight of, of constructing inverted commas, you know, beautiful boards with, with lovely, lovely little cards and um, figuring out the mechanics of the game and writing rule books and all kinds of things. And, and, and I'm thinking just, just sort of uh, segueing from, from that. Um, I, in those days, I had the time as a, as a kid to, to, to sit there making board games and comics and stuff and you you, you clearly had time to, to to make make all kinds of stuff these days i'm aware looking at my my kids that there's there's perhaps slightly less time available to them for for, for just just being you know, being creative or or indeed doing nothing which is actually an important part of being creative really there's there's so many demands on their time i don't know whether you 
whether you agree with this. Do you, do you observe the same thing as you go out and about? Um, well, it's difficult, isn't it? Because um, I can't imagine what it what it's like to be a child with everything that's on on off now. I just I just simply can't. I know it's there. And I know what it is, but I can't put myself in their shoes and imagine what it's like. So mm. it must be very difficult for parents um, to to know how to. Um, we can't really take it away from them, I suppose. Um, I mean, as I described when I was young, I was just left to get on with it. But I don't know that you could sort of um, construct that <laughs> for a, a child and try and sort of replicate that because no. they would just want to do something else. Oh, I think getting out of the house and walking, um, it's not a particularly creative thing, but... You can, you know, um, learn a lot when you go out for walks. I, I, since lockdown, I've been looking so much more closely um, at uh, the countryside when I when I go for walks and listening to the birds and so on. Um, I think to give children a love of these basic things is is like really important. Actually, really important. Mm. I've, yes. I've, I'm great one for um, bones and skulls, and you know, I found a dead badger in there footpath down the road and it'd been dead for about a week so I hid it in the hedge to let it sort of rot down a bit and then when it had rotted down I, I took a knife and, and cut its head off and then put it in a bucket of bleach um, here it is now the interesting thing about this skull is that if you look at a rabbit skull hang on a sec. look at the rabbit skull you can yeah. see that how big the eye socket is yeah and on the badger skull, there's no eye socket at all because they don't need their eyes as much. They've got like little, good grief, Tiny. little beady eyes that yes. uh, I don't think their eyesight's as good. Um, it's so. Definitely not judging by that. Gosh, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So that was um, on the beach uh, in Norfolk where we found a, a dead razor bill um, and um, we we carted it off back in a bucket and. Um, Similar thing, chop the head off and uh, mm. let let the let the thing rot. And um, in the end, we had a beautiful skull with a terrific beak. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, wow. Okay. Very, very healthy um, uh, occupation, isn't it? Finding animal skulls. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask whether you have any kind of tips, really, because you know, there, there have been certain themes coming out as we've, as we've talked about, um, you know, the need to sort of go with the ups and the downs and the recognition that you're not, you're not always going to have a day where you're, you know, on full, on full creative sort of form. Um, do you have tips for uh, other writers or artists about how to, how to keep, keep going down the years, you know, to, to, to sustain it uh, as, as you have you know so successfully done well i mean it helps if you love doing it we all have ups and downs but if you're yeah. if you've got this overriding sort of pleasure in in trying to be creative then or it sounds too easy to say just keep going but you do have to sort of keep going really and if you haven't it's found out for yourself then take it from me that if you do keep going then Yes, you, you kind of break through the other side of projects. I'm sure you must have had it the same with much of yeah. the work that you've done. You, you yeah. kind of have a breakthrough. And then you think, wow, 
this is going really well. I love it. I love working on this. How could I have felt so totally fed up <laughs> yesterday? How could I have felt like that when it's going so well now? And perhaps going against what, what I said, I find it difficult to do is to take the time to, to stop and go and think about things, do something different. And quite often ideas will come to you. I think if you're just staring at a screen, um, mm. hoping for it to happen, it, it often, it won't happen, you know. Um, and I think one of the first things they teach you at art college is to not be too precious about your work. Don't be scared yes. about starting again. And don't yes. think that the first thing you do has got to be the best, you know, because it hasn't, you know, you make your own mind up about things, but at the same time, try and open your mind up to the fact that yes. somebody might have come up with a better suggestion. So if you're not too precious and you can just relax and really take your time and think about the feedback that's come from people. Um, mm. You don't have to use it, but you might find um, that you do actually find it quite valuable. The, the word relaxation, I think, is is an important one, and it links back to what you were saying earlier about lying in bed or going for the walks and letting you know letting letting your mind um, drift or loosen up a little bit. I mean, that's that's very that's very important. It's a, it's a weird one. It's a paradox that you you have to be focused and apply yourself and you know listening to you talk about how your career you know clearly that the stubbornness that you talked about is so is so important you the drive just to keep going but but somehow within that you also have to have this sort of sense of being able to just chill about it and relax and have confidence that these things will um will work themselves out you yeah having two almost two opposite qualities at the same time yeah yeah i think i think for me as I described after leaving school, I was so um, amazed and so pleased to have found something that I loved um, that I've kind of guarded it and tried to um, not not give it up and keep it going, you know, because um, I didn't think I'd find anything that I, I could sort of enjoy so much. Um, uh, and now that I'm doing it, I just I just want to I want to keep going, really. Yeah, it's a, it's a very um inspiring thought to finish on really that is ultimately it's all about uh, about something that you love and if, if you find that you you keep hold of it as as best you can yeah you have good times and bad times but don't give up <laughs> it was such a pleasure to spend some time chatting with Tony. What really struck me was how seamlessly his creative life links to his wider interests and how his appreciation of the world around him sustains him through the ups and downs that affect us all. It did me a lot of good to hear him. Thank you very much for listening. I'm off for a nice long walk now. I wonder what I'll find.